That's good. <clears throat> All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm just going to hold on. All right. Good to be with you. And uh, it is December 1st. Holy cow. You guys happy about that? Some of you guys hate it. It's uh, your Grinches. Good to be with you. And uh, if you are newer visiting, just glad that you're here. Glad you get to uh, join us this morning for worship. And uh, I want you to repeat after me, I'm not afraid of snow. Okay, yeah. I'm not afraid of ice. Jesus is with me, right? Okay. I, I was just <clears throat> probably going to be no one at the 11 snowmageddon, and we're going to get like a half inch. Um, that's one thing I learned when I moved to New Jersey six years ago is that uh, get more snow than where I'm from, but man, people just panic. The first snowfall of the year, it's like, I guess the one that's like, you don't know what's going to happen, and then you know, I don't know. So uh, weather people are getting paid a lot. So uh, anyways, I uh, want to give you guys two announcements as we head into the month of December, heading into Advent together. First is that you guys uh, are aware that our Christmas Eve services will be at 4 and 5.45. The 4 o'clock is going to have all the kids, and they're going to be doing their fun little presentation, and they've been preparing and practicing. So uh, if you have family members, you need to let them know about that. And if you're wondering when the service is Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Eve, okay? So uh, we get asked that a lot. Well, but when is it? It's on Christmas Eve. When is that? It's December 24th. So uh, we're, we're excited to have Christmas Eve service on December 24th at, five, at 4 and 545. And uh, many of you guys, if you get the, uh, the newsletter, you got the Advent Guide that we sent out. So uh, just encourage you to be looking at that, using that as you uh, walk with your families. If you have children, if you don't have children, uh, a great way to just disciple them, disciple yourself. Uh, the staff worked really hard at writing that and putting that together. It just looks great, and it's uh, hopefully going to be a real deep blessing to you all. Also want to let you just know ahead of time, in the winter term, we teach classes, and uh, there's going to be a uh, class taught on the book of Revelation and a taught class on personal evangelism, uh, coming just out of 1 Peter and thinking about just mission and being good witnesses, and that's going to be January through February, and registration I think is going to uh, show up this week online, uh, Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.30, just kind of plug that in uh, to your mind and know that that will be coming as well. Um, well, we love to worship Jesus here, and we worship Jesus by singing songs, worship Jesus by sitting under teaching of God's word, that's what we're doing right now. We, sit, we worship Jesus by observing the Lord's Supper each week. That's why you see tables in the front uh, that nourish us by remembering the saving benefits that we have in the person and work of Jesus. We don't believe that uh, this gift he gave to the church merits salvation, merits righteousness. We believe that it simply nourishes us as we remember and recall what Christ has done through his person and work. And we also uh, give on the silver boxes on the back wall. And many of you guys give online as well. We're so thankful because Jesus has been generous to us. We want to be generous to him. And we always say, if you're not a regular attender, remember, please do not feel compelled to give. We're just really glad that you're here. Um, we're going to be pressing pause on First Peter. We're going to be doing just a, a series through the month of December like we do on Advent. Uh, Advent's just the arrival of, the anticipation of, and, and this Jesus Christ. And uh, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, just go to work and pray that God would teach us some things and encourage us in this Advent season. God, thank you for... The scriptures, thank you that you have come and that you will come again. Uh, thank you that in a, a hard, raging tide of consumerism and tinsel and trees and presents and all those things that are good, uh, God, that we'd be more swept up in what Christ has done and looking back and looking ahead uh, so that you might redeem even unmet expectations that we feel. Um, Father, we're thankful that in a season of anticipation, God, you've given us the greatest thing to anticipate, and that is what you've already done and what you'll finally do. Uh, so encourage us, use us, help us, con 
counsel us, instruct us uh, through the help of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So normally what we do, if you're just dropping in, is we take books of the Bible, walk through them and teach them just kind of verse by verse to get the whole counsel of God, see all that God has said. And we've been in 1 Peter uh, for a number of weeks. We're just pressing pause for December. We're going to pick back up in 1 Peter um, in January. But we wanted to kind of walk through like we do each year. We kind of uh, decide something uh, as a staff, elder team, just what do we want to teach through, what do we believe God might want to say. And this year we um, thought that it would be great just to look at the names that Christ was given in the heralding of who he would be when he would come. Um, The angels announced this. They sung this in the Psalms. The prophets uh, pronounced these things. The angels eventually and ultimately came and heralded them to those who would come and see Jesus. And so uh, looking at just a name a week, kind of grabbing from Isaiah 9-6, the different names that we see the prophet Isaiah give to this coming king we thought would encourage us. And so um, that's what we're going to be doing in the month of December is just press, take some time to press pause and reflect and look back upon what Christ did bring us on Christmas morning. Now, um, I'm well aware of and I think you're well aware that Christmas is a time where it's filled with anticipation, right? I mean, it's just a season of that. And, and the reason that most of us get frustrated is because anticipation brings expectation, and when those expectations are unmet, we get angry, or we get frustrated, or we get discouraged. Uh, and Jesus coming, I believe, in his advent is really to redeem all what's unmet in our hearts. Um, we really spend the bulk of our life kind of chasing the dangling carrot, wanting to chase things that won't satisfy us, chase things that we think will satisfy us and don't satisfy us. And Christ in his coming brings all that in its fullness. And understanding these particular names given to Jesus help us understand why he's done that. And so um, I just need to do a bit of setting up before we get into Isaiah 9 for the remainder of the month of December. Uh, we're going to grab the names of Jesus we'll be discussing over the next five weeks. So let me take you to Luke chapter 1 just for a minute. And if you look near the end of Luke chapter 1, here's what's, here's what's happening. A, a priest named Zechariah who's doing his priestly duties. God has been silent for 400 years and, and they knew the Messiah was supposed to come. They knew they were awaiting a savior, awaiting a king to come and kind of set up this rule and reign. They're not quite sure of all the details, but they've heard it throughout the Old Testament. And God's been silent God seems to be not saying anything anymore. And here's what you see in Luke chapter 1. After 400 years of God being silent, he says this to Zechariah. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah is doing his priestly duties. He's, he's following just kind of the, the system that's been in place at this time. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. You would be too if you saw an angel. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. So understand, this priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they've been praying for a son, praying for children. They've been barren most of their life. They want to have a legacy, a barrenness in this time and culture was viewed as a curse from God. If you didn't have children or couldn't have children, they've been pleading for this. And an angel of the Lord shows up and and tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and not just any son, an extraordinary son. You're going to name him John, and he's going to be the forerunner of this Messiah that's been heralded and promised and said would come. He's going to be a great gift, not just to the people of Israel, but the joy of what he points to in Christ will extend to the ends of the earth. 
It's an amazing message to Zechariah. That's, that's incredible news that he's hearing in this. Now, if you study angels in your Bible, you'll see that out of the, the millions and millions of angels, only two are named. Uh, one is Michael, great name, and he is like your G.I. Joe angel. He shows up when there's a fight. He's always there kind of helping when there's wars. Then you've got Gabriel who brings just important messages. He's there for priority mail. Um, and you see this uh, mostly in the Old Testament, but you see it here. If there's going to be someone who's coming to announce to Zechariah that, that your son is going to be the forerunner to this promised Messiah, Gabe's your guy. And that's why he says a few verses later, he gives him his name. It's Gabriel. He tells him his name later in this text because he knows that Zechariah is well familiar with how this works in the Old Testament. He knows that Gabriel's brought messages to other people that are important. So Zechariah is taking all this in. He's hearing all of this, and wouldn't, wouldn't you be so thankful for the, the angel's response? Like, don't be afraid. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to bring you promise. How about that? Like, like God, man, the, the message of Christmas is that, that God actually is not coming to condemn the world, but to actually liberate it from condemnation in the work of himself. That's John 3, 16 and 17. Right? And so, and so here, this is what the message of the angel is bringing. This is what he's telling Zechariah. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to bring you a promise. And after this, Zechariah just starts singing. He just busts out in worship because he's so thankful at the message from this angel about Jesus who was heralded. Verse 67, it says this, And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. Verse 77, he says, He gives knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. The sunrise shall visit us, giving light to those who sit in darkness and shadow of death to guide their feet to the way of peace. I love it. Zechariah does what Christians should do, which is when you get good news in the gospel of any kind and what Christ will do, you just start to worship. You're just created to, to declare back to God all that he's done, how great he is in his sending and his giving and his instructing. And here, I love this, he says, the sunrise shall visit us, giving light to those who sit in darkness. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about what Christ would do. And the reason this is important to know is up until this point, it's been black for Israel. It's just gone dark. If you know from the call of Abraham, right, where he says from your children's children, there's going to be a line who's going to form a people. I'm going to be a God of that people. And from that line, through kings, through prophets, is coming the one Jesus who will crush the head of Satan and redeem a people for his own glory and grace. You've got that message from Abraham, but it just goes dark for Israel. they got 400 years in slavery. they got 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He rolls out the law to show you can't keep it, ushers in the sacrifice system to show blood needs to be shed and then basically what happens they go in captivity it's dark the kingdom split they get out of captivity they try to make things work and then they're oppressed again by the Greeks and the Romans it's just unending oppression unending injustice unending they can't relieve themselves and this is what's happening here and all the while the prophets herald a message someone's coming sunrise gonna break for you Sunlight's going to break on your dark day. Like there's hope coming. 
there's one coming. There's a Savior coming. The long darkness for Israel was sustained by the promise from God that at some point the sunrise would break through the clouds. That's why in Malachi, the prophet, before God goes silent for 400 years, uh, he actually prophesies in his text and says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his beams. He's bringing all this together. All this together. (laughs) So God has been silent for 400 years and Zechariah tells us this is it. Sunrise is coming, darkness is going to be pulled back, and God is going to do something that has always been his plan to rescue and redeem not only the darkness for Israel, but the darkness over the entire world. And that's how the Old Testament ends, 400 years of silence, and a homeless man eating locusts shows up, and that's John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he comes in later after he's born, after this announcement, and he basically shows up and says, mercy is here. Forgiveness is here. Make straight the paths, the promise to Abraham, all that was promised through the prophets, all that was sung about in the Psalms, all that was heralded through God's people. It's actually here. Forgiveness is here. And it's not because you keep the law. It's because of the tender mercy of God. Forgiveness of sins will come because God's merciful, not because you're great. Because Christ will bear it on himself. It's an amazing promise. So now 700 years prior to all of this, to announcing Christmas morning, (coughs) thank you, Bill, not even an elder, make him one, Um, (coughs) and it's cold, we got these cold here, praise God, Um, 700 years prior to this announcement is Isaiah, Isaiah 9, and this is the text we're going to pull from this month. He says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, you gotta have the backdrop. Like when Isaiah says this, like you you don't see all that's culminating Christmas morning. With to Zechariah and the angels and the magi and the shepherds and all that he does and the, and the promise of his coming. But here, 700 years before all that, here's now what Isaiah is saying. All that's going to happen. And this son's going to come. And the prophecy, the one who's coming, born of a woman, to crush the head of Satan, to be king of all kings, to bless all the families of the earth in the line of David. He's going to be a priest. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a prophet. Now, that was rare because most kings couldn't roll in priestly duties. It always goes bad. Jesus can fulfill every office, every role. You see these distinguished in just his names. And he goes, this king is going to be the king of all kings. Now, for most of us right now, probably a Christmas carol is coming to mind. All right, as we kind of say this, but, but understand, for what they just heard, the government's going to be on his shoulders? Like, like, this, was, this was insane for them. I mean, we just discussed, they're, they're in the middle of unbelievable darkness and oppression. They can't seem to break out of captivity. They, they can't seem to find their way, the people of God. And Isaiah comes and says, hey, he's going to put an end to this himself. He's going to put the government on his shoulders. He's going to be all of these things. I mean, you need a legitimate savior with legitimate peace to come in here and do that. You need a legitimate God who's really mighty. You need a legitimate counselor who can actually instruct you in the ways that are right. And he says, this God is coming. 
This Savior is coming. God will be in the flesh. He's going to come to this dark, cursed spot in Israel's history, and he's going to bring light. He's going to bring sunrise. He's going to bring healing in his beams. He's going to come and rework all that's wrong. He's going to mend the fracture from sin in Genesis 3. He's going to remake all that's bad. He's going to ultimately consummate a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to live in an already not yet, right? Post the cross all the way to glory. He's going to do all that. And you're going to name him these things. And this is who he is. Um, so amazing. So how is God in the flesh, the Son of God, going to come in and crush the head of Satan and bless all the families on the earth and get rid of injustice and fill his people with himself? And we'll just look at one. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to do this by being a wonderful counselor. Now that, that word wonderful literally means incomprehensible. Um, that, that's the word for that. When, when you see wonderful, it's incomprehensible. The Messiah is going to cause you to be full of wonder. Jesus is going to show up and you're just going to be like, ha. Huh. Right? I mean, that's why I always say, part of my testimony, reading through the whole Bible, get to the Gospels, I just realized I didn't know what to do with Jesus. I was just filled with wonder. I, reading the Gospels, I, I was like, you can't make this man up. You can't just fabricate what he says. A human author who's inspired by himself, not the Holy Spirit of God himself, doesn't write about how we stink and God's awesome. That didn't make sense to me. I'm like, the ways he just goes after the human heart, we wouldn't write that. Like, we wouldn't put that in the scriptures, and yet God does it because God's speaking and God's writing through his people. And I'm reading Jesus going, man, you just can't create a man like this unless he's God. <clears throat> and so he's going to be wonderful. He's going to counsel you. I love this because and, and, it's just so much weightier in the way that it's used in normal conversation. We, we say wonderful, meaning pleasant. They're likable, right? Um, this means to me mind-boggling. That's what this word wonderful means. It means you can't wrap your head around the wonder of this person. And isn't that who Jesus is? And then the second part, counselor. Uh, in ancient Israel, right? A counselor was someone who was wise, who instructed. You got like Solomon. He was a counselor, they would call him. He instructed those. He would give guidance to people. But Jesus will be a wise counselor. John says in his gospel that Jesus didn't need any testimony of men because he already knew what was in the heart of man. Man, he's the best counselor. I mean, any of you guys go to counseling just in general? How amazing is that? Know what you're thinking. No, I know what you want to say. You're lying. I mean, that's, that's Jesus. He, he knows your heart better than you. He knows your mind. He knows your proclivities. He knows your inclinations. He knows how to love you and lead you to life more than you do. And no one's lied to you more than you, just in case you were wondering. Right? So, so God comes along in the flesh and says, I'm going to instruct you and lead you, and I'm going to be a mind-boggling counselor. And you can trust everything that I say. You can trust the ways that I instruct you. You can trust the words that come out of my mouth. Jesus is wonderful in a way that's mind-boggling, and he's qualified in a way no human counselor is. <clears throat> he's infinitely qualified. This is why Colossians says in Jesus are hidden all the tre treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus always knows what we're going through, and he always knows the right course of action. So fundamentally, at the end of the day, Jesus' position as a wonderful counselor means we can trust him. 
It means we can trust him. It means we can, he, he listens to our issues and guides us in the right direction. You can be certain that he has our best interests in mind. You can be certain that he doesn't call you to the easiest life, but the best life. You can be certain that all that Jesus says is driven from his great love for you that's so wide and so deep and so profound that you can rest there. This is who he is, is our right and good and wonderful counselor. And Jesus brings us this Christmas morning. I mean, are we not in need of this? I mean, man, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were in darkness and we needed light. We were blind and we needed to see. We were hopeless and we needed hope. We were, you know, um, foolish and we needed wisdom. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if Jesus isn't a wise counselor, there's no hope of transformation. There's no hope of regeneration. There's no hope of redemption. He has to be these things to give us illumination that we do not currently have. And he does this by giving us the ultimate counselor. And I love this. We don't only get the counsel of Jesus, God in flesh on Christmas morning. He then ascends and leaves us with himself. And he calls his Holy Spirit the counselor. Uh, You know that Matthew 28 means nothing if he's not this. Like if he's not wonderful counselor, then Matthew 28's a lie. I'll be with you always at the end of the age. Uh, you can go and obey in everything I've instructed you to do. So God is with man, and it's not just Jesus' coming, living, dying, and ascending. It's him leaving us with himself. Look at John 14. I was reading this again this week, thinking about him as our counselor, and, and this is right before Jesus tells the disciples, I'm gonna go, uh, die on a cross and, and suffer for sin, and they're just discouraged, they're distraught. Who wouldn't be? Thought you were going to be with us forever. They don't understand a lot. We love you. We've been walking with you. What do you mean you're going to die? And so Jesus has just been comforting his disciples. He's been encouraging his disciples. He's been giving his disciples promises as they're filled with grief, and he comes alongside them, and he tells them not to be afraid, not to be discouraged, but then he gives them the ultimate encouragement. Look at what he says in John 14, 16, 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Listen, guys, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you just stop and you go, that verse is just insane. That's one of them. I mean, every verse you read, you should go, that's insane. But that verse is insane. If you're reading it, I mean, you can go, oh, I learned that in Sunday school. But if you're reading it, here's the ultimate thing Jesus says. I'm leaving. I'm going to send someone else when I leave. Now, listen, imagine you're the disciples. You've been with Jesus for about three and a half years. You've grown to love him. You've seen him do miracles. You believe he's the son of God. You don't want him to leave you. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel like an orphan. You're going to feel abandoned. You're going to feel insecure. You're going to feel unstable. And Jesus says here, I'm going to give you another counselor. I know I've instructed you. I know I've guided you. I know I've helped you, but you're going to have another one. Now, this is massive. That word another could mean two things, and it is so important what it does mean. It could mean I'm going to send you another counselor like a different one, like a separate one, 
Or it could mean I'm sending you another counselor as in just like me. I'm just going to send you another, right? That's what it means. That's what it means in the language. It means I am, Jesus is saying, I'm literally sending you me. I'm not sending you a less than counselor. I'm not sending you the stepchild of the Trinity counselor. I am sending you another one just like me. Same abilities, same characteristics, same attributes, same godness. I'm giving you another just as though I haven't even left. Just as though I haven't even abandoned you. I haven't abandoned you. I've left you with myself. Amazing. And John's the only one who uses counselor as a noun, which is parakaleo, which is the word that means to come alongside. It's like a coach would come alongside a marathon runner. Hey, speed up, slow down, you're doing great, right? Or a good teacher or a good tutor would come alongside the student and say, you're doing well, here's how you can grow, here's what to watch out for. And that's the language here that he's giving these disciples. And so Jesus is saying, I'm sending someone just like me to come alongside you and guide you and counsel you and help you. Don't miss that crazy statement Jesus makes about this counselor in verse 17. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. See, Jesus says him being the wonderful counselor is not just stopping at his life and his ministry. Christmas morning is an unending message to us of joy. It doesn't stop in Jesus' ascension. It actually continues on into eternity when we're in glory because he says, now it's going to be different. He goes, you know, I've been walking with you for three years and I've been teaching you and instructing you and guiding you with my my mouth. I'm, I'm in the flesh. He goes, it's going to be different when I ascend. I'm actually going to come inside your body. <laughs> That's so stupid. Isn't that stupid? Like, like God is going to dwell with man in the most intimate sense. It's not just God being present with man, literally God dwelling inside man, not making us gods. Be careful of that. That's a crazy teaching out there. But God being with us to equip us and empower us through the presence of himself. He's going to illuminate our minds to truth. He's going to counsel us in the ways that are right. He's going to lead us away from temptation. He's going to do all these things with gladness because he's given us the Holy Spirit of God. So Christmas morning is the ultimate promise that God is actually going to be with man in the most intimate sense. Not just in his coming. Not just in his birth. But he's going to keep being a wonderful counselor. Because of the unique nature of our Trinitarian God. That's amazing. Like, like right now, I'm not up here by myself. Like, right now, I'm not, I'm not preaching by myself. Like, as you open up the Word of God and you study the Word of God, you're not just by yourself. Or you can actually appeal to God to give you understanding and illumination and help. Like, when you go out as witnesses for the work, name, and renown of Jesus, you're not alone. You're actually not alone. He's actually indwelling you and empowering you and helping you. We need good pneumatology, which is just a big theological word for study of the Holy Spirit and what he does. He shouldn't be neglected. He should be appealed to. That's godly. That's helpful. And he reminds us at Christmas we have this great gift. See, um, I love this because Jesus is saying, 
You don't need to be afraid. You can pray to me when I ascend because I'm going to send someone just like me to be inside you and even pray through groanings, things that you don't even know to pray, Romans 8. Some of you, maybe you're just, you're just scared right now whether you're going to be able to like pull this thing off for Jesus. Well, it's not about you pulling anything off. It's about you appealing to his work and his power and his presence. It's about you looking again at the gospel of Jesus Christ and finding great vigor in what Christ has accomplished and you have not accomplished. It's, it's finding in that Jesus himself is going to continue to point your eyes and empower you through the work of the gospel, not by you leaning back on your abilities, but by continually leaning on him and his infinite ability. And this is the good message of Christmas morning, is God wants us to have confidence God wants us to know we're not alone. God wants us to know that he has met us in him being our wonderful counselor. Probably the most fascinating thing in encouragement is later in John 16, 7, where he tells them this, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. <laughs> he says it's for your good that I'm leaving. I think some other translations say it's to your advantage that I'm leaving. Because if I don't go, you can't get the Holy Spirit. You can't get the counselor. I've been your counselor, but the rest of the world, post the cross, post the living ministry of Jesus, cannot have Jesus dwelling with man, receiving his counsel. I, I don't know about you. I, I, re, I read that. I'm going, man, for so many years, I thought it'd be so much easier to have Jesus in the flesh. How is that good for me, right? I mean, how can you screw up when the Son of God is with you, right? I know what you're thinking, oh, darn it, right? I mean, how, I mean witnessing, here's Jesus. I mean, how, how awesome is it to have the Son of God with you? How, how can you mess up when he's in the flesh visibly? I used to look at the disciples and be like, what morons, I mean, they're like watching new miracles. I'd never be like that. Truth is, we'd all be like that, right? Due to our spiritual blindness and proclivity in our human hearts and our longings that Jesus constantly needs to rewire and redirect and refashion to his own work and name. But, but here, Jesus says something so profoundly amazing. It's actually better for you and I that I leave. Because if I leave, I can send. And when I send, he will do every bit of what I can do for you in the flesh. And he will counsel you and he will instruct you. That is amazing. It's almost as if he's saying, this is even better than that. Do you believe that? I mean, did you know that you get that through the gift of Christ at Christmas? Do you know this name of Jesus? Do you believe that the wonderful counselor as a believer in Jesus Christ is for your advantage? That that's actually good for you? Did you know that he's the one who seals you? He's the one who guarantees your inheritance? He's the one who hold, helps hold your confidence to the end and your perseverance? It's not you, it's him? Isn't that amazing? That this is our promise from Jesus Christ? This is why 1 John 4, 4, when we studied 1 John, says, greater is he that's in you than he that is of the world. You know what that means fundamentally? That means your flesh is no match for the world and Satan and sin. 
Your flesh is no match for that. You and I walk out these rooms reliant on ourselves, reliant on our works, reliant on our flesh. Man, we're done for. He goes, it's no match for the spirit of God that dwells in you. The spirit is what empowers you and keeps you. You have to understand that you are absolutely powerless to crush the head of Satan. You understand that. You are absolutely powerless to defeat sin in your life. You are absolutely powerless to do as God has called you to do. Listen, I know some of you are going, man, I crossfit. I don't care how long you've been crossfitting. Like, like you got no match to do this. Some of you guys, I eat organic every day. I do too. That's no match. I run on the treadmill. 30, you're going to get worked over by Satan, sin, and death. You need something outside of you. You need something that, that is incapable of something you can't produce. You need a champion in your place to atone for your sin. We are perpetually by nature, people who love to try to be a self-atoners. Right? I'm going to atone for my sin. I'm going to try and atone for the works of Christ. He already atoned for me. I'm going to somehow believe that through my works and my efforts, I can counsel myself. I can lead myself in the way that is right. I can teach myself the ways that lead to life. I can teach myself about Satan, sin, and death, and that I know more than God knows. And he goes, no, I have to teach you that, and I have to deliver you from that. This is why he is a wonderful counselor, and this is why we got to do in this season is, is take a place where we can stand in the hard raging tide of good things, right? Gifts and presents and lights. And listen, I'm not Scrooge. I'm not the Grinch. I'm Father Christmas. I go in my office. I got lights everywhere. I love the holidays. I'm just saying you got to drop yourself somewhere against that hard raging tide that's going to allow you to stand, that's going to actually alleviate unmet expectation. That's going to alleviate the bitterness and anger that arises when you feel frustrated because something is birthed out of you chasing a mythical creature. And here he shows us that, man, this is all found in Jesus. We look back. That's the place we put our hope. We look back at the first advent of Jesus, that he did come, that he did rescue, that he did atone for sin, that he did appease the wrath of God, that he did live with a righteousness we did not have, and that he continues to give you that the remainder of your days. Like, like we continue to not deserve it. You hear me? Like, like we don't get saved, and then Jesus is like, oh, finally you're good. We are, positionally, but he continues to empower us and walk alongside of us. And this is the great news of Christmas. We want to fix our eyes there. So we want to do it Advent and every day. Not just Advent, it's just where we can press pause and remind ourselves once again at what Christmas means. The reason we made this Advent God was for you and your family to kind of gather around and go, this is what Christ has done. This is what he means. This is who he is. So, so not only our children would get swept up, but we get swept up ourselves. Because you know what we like to do? Hey, kids, read that, <laughs> right? This is good for you. No, no, we need that. Man, we need to look back. We need to look ahead. We need to be reminded of the redemption that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're marveling at. Man, that God might deliver us from the foolish places that we place anticipation. I know a lot of us, man, you're coming out of Thanksgiving. I don't know how you entered Thanksgiving. I mean, I was running hard. I needed rest. But there's like this angst in you, this anxiety, this anticipation, whether it's family and what's that going to be like. And I'm not to talk to her or him or, oh, man, I got to eat that. I don't like that. Grandma's going to be mad. I mean, you got all these different things you're feeling and you're anticipating uh, maybe this year will be the year where it all comes together for you. 
or this is the year where everything will click, or I'll get this, or I'll have this raise or promotion. I mean, listen, those are vain places to put your hope and anticipate anything. That's what Advent reminds us of. I mean, drop your anchor not in that raging tide downstream, swim upstream with the hope of Jesus Christ and alleviate your souls and find peace and rest, which is why we're going to learn because he's the wonderful counselor, this is why he's mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, need a lot of help, and I, I don't even want to get into nuances this morning as to how to do this. I just want us to, for a minute to have a meeting with the Holy Spirit together. Uh, that we would appeal to you and ask you to do things in our hearts and minds that we cannot do, that we would ask you even in these moments to uh, make us aware of things in our lives that that do not honor you, do not please you, are not directed towards you. God, would you counsel us? And thank you that your counsel is good and that it is perfect and that it is all-wise and all-knowing. God, I pray the nudges and the whispers we receive from the Spirit through reading your scriptures and through you testifying to your own name and work in our hearts, that, God, we would heed to those things, whatever they might be. That, God, we would throw the weight of our hope and anticipation at what already has been met in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Why don't you enjoy just a, a moment of being with your all-wise counselor. If you know Christ and have put your trust and hope and faith in the work of Jesus Christ and him forgiving your sin, the horn of salvation, the angel said to Zechariah, the one who would be tender in mercy towards you as you tried to appease him with your works. Meet with him. Ask him. Where do you need help? Where do you need leading and guidance? Where do you need to be reminded of the person and work of Jesus Christ?